0: Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for this opportunity that we have to come into Your presence today. We thank You for the Sabbath, that we can come apart from the cares of this life to worship You in spirit and in truth. And we pray today that You would speak to us, that Christ would be uplifted, that Jesus would be seen, As we look at these themes in the Great Controversy, we pray that our hearts would be moved. As we look at the face of Jesus Christ, we pray that our souls would be drawn closer, closer to you. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Today is part three in a four-part series. I've entitled Cosmic Conflict. And I'd like to do a brief review before we get to the heart of today's message and study. You remember in part one, we said that the great controversy is found in the book of Revelation, and that the book of Revelation is in a chiastic structure, it's in a form of poetry. You can see there on the screen that it actually goes into a central point, a climax, which is Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 paints that panoramic picture of the great controversy between Christ and Satan. We said that the center of the chiasm is Revelation chapter 12, and then we looked at Revelation chapter 12, and we said that the center chapter of the book of Revelation in the chiastic structure is in itself a chiasm and that the central verse is Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10 as was read in our scripture reading. It's a salvation-centered passage and text, Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. The Bible tells us that war broke out where? In heaven, it seems like an odd place for war to break out. You would think that heaven would be the last place for disunity and disharmony, but the Bible tells us that war started in heaven in a perfect place within a perfect creature called Lucifer, and Lucifer started to question God's authority, God's government, and he actually got to the place where he thought that he could do a better job than God himself. We said that the central issue in the great controversy between good and evil, between Christ and Satan, was concerning the character of God as expressed in what? His law. Why would the devil attack God's law? And we looked in the Old Testament saw that the law of God was not written on paper or parchment, but it was written in stone by the very finger of God. Incidentally, the only part of the Bible that is written by God himself, literally, is the Ten Commandments. He wrote it in stone, attesting to its unchangeable nature. We saw that Moses, when building the Ark of the Covenant, which was a symbol of the throne of God, the Shekinah of Glory was there, Moses was instructed to place the Ten Commandments not beside the Ark, not around the Ark, but inside the ark, under the throne of God, indicating that the foundation of the throne and the government of God was his law. And the devil knew that if he attacked the law of God, he was really attacking the character of God and undermining the government of God. That was the central issue in the conflict in heaven. Last week in part two, we discussed that the great controversy is a demonstration of God's love. By the way, you can go online if you've missed any of these presentations and download them in a podcast. And we said last week that love cannot exist without choice. You can never force someone to love you. And that in a love relationship, God created beings with the capacity to choose, to respond, to have the free will and that is how the great controversy transpires. Moving very quickly to today's presentation, our thesis question today, as we look through the Bible, is what happened at the cross? I've heard many sermons about the cross, I've even preached about the cross here, but many times when we look at the cross, we look at it in terms of our own salvation. That's very important, all of us want to be saved, yes? Yes? And we look at it in terms of our individual salvation and what happened at the cross. We know that justification happened at the cross, forgiveness happened at the cross, salvation happened at the cross. But today I want to look at the cross from this vantage point or from the perspective of the great controversy. Today we'll see that the cross was the greatest revelation in terms of the great controversy As to who God and the devil actually were. It was the greatest exposition, demonstration of the character and the nature of God. I'd like to begin with a little bit of background. We go to the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. Adam and Eve sinned, they were to be removed from the garden. It was a very sad day, but before being removed from the garden, I want you to notice there in your study guides, you can see it there, in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, you see what is called the garden promise, that in the midst of a tragedy, God gives this incredible promise there in Genesis. He's talking to the serpent. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, you see the words coming from the mouth of Christ himself, and he says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between the serpent and the woman. At the fall, the human race was put under the dominion of the enemy, they were united. Humanity was placed in subjection to the enemy, but here, the promise, the prophecy, is that there's going to be a separation. And between your seed and her seed. He, I put Jesus in there because scholars believe that this is a messianic prophecy. He, and in many of your Bibles it's actually capitalized, it says, He, Jesus, shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel." I'd like to pick that apart with you a little bit, but before we do that, I want to make the simple observation that the Bible is alluding to this narrative of the great controversy which began in heaven, now is being transferred to where? To earth. Because Adam and Eve sinned, the meta-narrative has changed in location. It has gone from heaven now to earth. The conflict goes to earth, and it's between the serpent and Christ. Literally, this word bruised in the Hebrew is to crush. So when the Bible says, He, Jesus, shall crush your head, the serpent's head, we are talking about a mortal wound. If your head is crushed, so you see a snake slithering through the middle of the sanctuary, it's not, but imagine that it is, and you go up and you smash its head, that is a mortal wound. This is the imagery that the Bible is giving the Bible's indicating that even though this controversy is going on here on earth, that in the end, the devil will receive a mortal wound. Amen. And that the great controversy will be finished with Christ being victorious. But you also see here that the Bible tells us that, that Jesus will receive a bruise, will receive a crushing blow. This is quite a curious passage because when you look at it and you think about the notion of God being crushed, hurt, bruised in any way, that is anything from our picture of God. Isn't that right? God is invincible. God is powerful. How can God be bruised or crushed? But the Bible tells us that in this controversy that God will make himself vulnerable. God God will make himself vulnerable open to being bruised and crushed. Love is not love until love's vulnerable. When we look at the definition of love, not only is love has to have the element of choice, but also love has to have vulnerability. Have you ever known someone that's been in a relationship and they get hurt, and then afterwards they never want to let themselves go because they're afraid of that vulnerability because you can never love unless you placed yourself out there. This is the paradox of God. God is invincible, but God is also love, and love, by definition, is vulnerable. When you give your heart to someone, you have no guarantee of what they'll do to your heart. Isn't that right? They can crush it. And yet, that's what makes it so beautiful. You expose yourself. No one can hurt you as much as the person that you love the most. That is ultimate vulnerability. And here's the definition of vulnerability. I looked it up in the dictionary. Definition of vulnerability. Exposed, listen to this, exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed either physically or emotionally. So here you see the indication in Genesis chapter 3 that God, the invincible, ineffable, powerful God, is going to subject himself to ultimate vulnerability. He will be crushed, yet not mortally, but he will be wounded. This is a quotation from C.S. Lewis. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it to no one, and not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round hobbies. this is what some people do, and like little luxuries, avoid all entanglements, lock it up in a safe, in a casket, lock it up in the coffin of your selfishness, but in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, It will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And what we need to do, friends, is is put ourselves out there. Amen? That's what God did. Love even without the guarantee that they'll love you back. How did God do this? How did God make himself vulnerable? Very quickly, you can see it there in your study guide. You see in Exodus chapter 25, verse 8, him talking to Moses, he said, "...let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them." Here you see God that has been separated from humanity by sin, but he says, "...let them make me a sanctuary that I may be close, I may dwell with you." On the screen I have a picture of a sanctuary. This is the Mosaic Sanctuary that Moses was instructed to build. And you'll notice that in this sanctuary, there is no floor. The Shekinah glory resided in that tent, in that tabernacle, in the most holy place, in the Ark of the Covenant. That was where the presence of God dwelt. But there was no floor to be in the sanctuary, indicating that heaven came as close as it possibly could. Amen? When heaven came down, it came down all the way. There was no barrier, no floor between heaven and earth. But notice that the sanctuary was enclosed. There was a package of fabric around the sanctuary so that people could not visibly see God face to face. He had to be veiled behind something. It was not because God did not want to reveal Himself to us, but because of sin, we would have been destroyed by the presence of God so God had to package it in a sanctuary but heaven came all the way down this was an allusion to what would happen in Jesus no notice what happens in Matthew chapter 1 verse 23 Behold the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel which is translated and I want you to notice the language here God with us here in the incarnation of Jesus Christ The term Emmanuel means God with us. John chapter one, verse fourteen. This is not found in your study guide, but you can write it down if you'd like to do so. And it says, And the word became flesh. And I want you to notice the language here. And the word became flesh. Jesus became flesh. God's thought made audible and did tabernacle. This is sanctuary language. God tabernacled among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You can see the intentionality of God. This is how He makes Himself vulnerable. He's not distant. He wants to come as close as possible. And here the Bible tells us in the Old Testament, He wanted to tabernacle with men. But in the New Testament, He literally tabernacles with men. Not in a building, but in a body. It says, I will tabernacle with men. And in this revelation of God, I wish I was living in the time of the first century when Jesus was alive in Palestine because I want you to think about the implications of this. Every smile, every laugh, every look in the the face of Jesus Christ, every handshake, every hug, was a revelation of, of who God was. You wanted to know what God was like? Just look in the face of Jesus. What a powerful time to be in. That's why the Bible says, and we beheld His what? His glory, His character, His faith. Every interaction with the face of Jesus Christ was a revelation of who God was, was and is that the world had never seen before, including the universe. The universe knew who God was, but in this revelation, they had never seen this dynamic revelation of who God was. And when you read the New Testament and you see all the acts of Jesus Christ, every action is a message of God's character. We're told in the desire of ages, in stooping to take upon himself humanity, Christ revealed a character opposite of the character of Satan. Remember in the great controversy, Satan wanted to be like God, but you see that here, God becomes a man. We go very quickly to Gethsemane. We're talking about what happened at the cross, but we want to look at it from the vantage point of heaven, from the vantage point of the universe and the great controversy. When Jesus, was staggering there in Gethsemane. I can't help but think that the angels that witnessed Jesus prior to His incarnation and would come before His presence and say, Glory, Hallelujah, and would fall down in worship and adoration before God, now sees God, Jesus, staggering in Gethsemane. And what had happened here in Gethsemane was that Jesus, the sinless Christ, was in that moment feeling the weight because the transference of the sins and the guilt of the entire human race were being transferred to the Son of God. I think that all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, will admit that we've experienced guilt. I think, if we're honest, we probably experience that every single day, unless we're covered with the forgiveness of Jesus. And I can think of many instances in my life where I've done something and you feel guilty. You feel that shame. Now, multiply all of the guilt that we've all experienced in our lives past and will experience in the future and you combine them all just just in this room and imagine placing it upon one person at one point in history multiply that by a billion multiply that by every human that will ever exist and has existed all the sins that have been committed and will be committed all the guilt compressed down to one point and placed upon one man, and that is what Jesus experienced there in Gethsemane. Jesus is staggering, and heaven is witnessing the Son of God, the ineffable, glorious God, here in Gethsemane, experiencing the weight of the sins of the whole world. And I want you to notice the language there in Gethsemane, Matthew chapter 26, verse 36-38, Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and he began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed and he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Jesus here is experiencing not what we call the first death but what the Bible terms as the second death. The difference between the death that we all experience in this life or will experience in this life if the Lord doesn't come is not the second death. The second death is what the Bible terms eternal separation from God. Jesus in this moment becomes sin for us and that means eternal separation from God and in this moment, he feels his very soul, his very being, being crushed with the sins of the entire human race. Eternal separation from God. I'd like to read to you a few statements from Desire of Ages. This is from the chapter of Gethsemane. And if you haven't read the book Desire of Ages, I want to encourage you to do so. It says, All heaven and the unfallen world... Notice... She pulls back the curtain. This is not just about our salvation. It says that this was before the whole universe. Here in Gethsemane, all heaven and the unfallen worlds had been witnesses to the controversy. With what intense interest did they follow the closing scenes of the conflict? They beheld the Savior enter the garden of Gethsemane. His soul bowed down with the horror of a great darkness. They heard his bitter cry, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. He prayed this prayer three times. If there's any other way, I don't want to go through with this. Please, Lord. He pleads with the Lord, not once, twice, three times. As the Father's presence was withdrawn, they saw him sorrowful with a bitterness of sorrow exceeding that of the last struggle with death. The bloody sweat was forced from his pores and fell in drops upon the earth. Thrice the prayer for deliverance was wrung from his lips. Heaven could no longer endure the sight. It got to the place where the universe was watching, the angels were watching, and it got to the place where heaven could no longer endure it. And if you'll notice in the Bible, in the midst of his prayer, he's praying this prayer three times. Eternity is in the balance. He's weighing the sins of you and I, the entire human race, and he's about to say, Lord, I can't go through this anymore. And heaven's like, we've had enough. We have had enough. And in that moment, the Bible tells us that an angel from heaven comes down. It says heaven could no longer endure the sight. A messenger of comfort, an angel, was sent to the Son of God. And we're told in the Desire of Ages that the conversation went something like this. Jesus. I know that this is unbearable, but it's worth it. It's worth it. And in that moment, Jesus made his decision. This is killing me, literally, but I'm going to. Do it. and he thought of you and that's what carried him through it was in Gethsemane that the cross became a reality and heaven stood back in awe that a person so sinless, so pure, so undeserving would bear the brunt of the wages of sin. The cross is the most powerful demonstration of the character of God. I'd like to read this statement from Desire of Ages. Heaven viewed with grief and amazement, Christ hanging upon the cross, blood flowing from his wounded temples and sweat tinged with blood standing upon his brow. From his hands and feet, the blood fell drop by drop upon the rock drilled for the foot of the cross. These wounds made by the nails gaped as the weight of his body dragged upon his hands. His labored breath grew quick and deep as his soul panted under the burden of the sins of the world. All heaven was filled with wonder when the prayer of Christ was offered in the midst of his terrible suffering. His suffering upon the cross. If any moment he could think about himself, this would be the moment. And he says, heaven wonders when he says, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Yet there stood men formed in the image of God joining to crush out the life of his only begotten Son. What a sight for the heavenly universe. This revelation of God's love, up to this time, people knew who God was. Angels knew who God was. The universe knew who God was, but it was at the cross that they saw a picture of God that they had never seen before. Another thing that happened at the cross was Satan was exposed. Moving on, in the Desire of Ages, the principalities and powers of darkness were assembled around the cross, casting the hellish shadow of unbelief into the hearts of men. Who do you think it was that was inspiring the mob to say crucify Him? If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. When the Lord created these beings to stand before His throne, they were beautiful and glorious. Their loveliness and holiness were in accordance with their exalted station. They were enriched with the wisdom of God and girded with the panoply of heaven. They were Jehovah's ministers. But who could recognize the fallen angels, the glorious teraphim that once ministered in the heavenly courts? Satan was exposed. In the beginning of the great controversy, they didn't know where it would lead, but God let it play out, and it got to the place where the devil was exposed as a murderer, as the individual that would single-handedly inspire the death of Jesus Christ. Satan saw that his disguise was torn away. His administration was laid open before the unfallen angels and before the heavenly universe. He had revealed himself as a murderer by shedding the blood of the Son of God. He had uprooted himself from the sympathies of the heavenly beings. Friends, it was at the cross that the fate of the devil was sealed. And the last chapter of the Bible was a foregone conclusion. As we noted earlier, what happened at the cross. It was the greatest demonstration of the character of God. Moving quickly to our next passage in your study guide in Luke chapter 23, verse 44 through 47. And when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God saying, certainly this was a righteous man. This is the type of revelation of God that was at the... Cross of Calvary, because here is a hardened soldier, a person that is not even there by choice. He has to be there because of an order of Pilate. And he's standing there, not even a believer of God. And he sees this demonstration by this individual named Jesus Christ. And after Jesus dies, the testimony that comes from the lips of this hardened soldier, a trained killer, are these words. Certainly, this was a righteous man This revelation was so clear so undeniable that an hardened soldier could see the revelation and see this was a righteous man another gospel says surely this man was the son of god we see jesus hanging upon the cross the greatest revelation in the great controversy as to the character and the nature of God. Our last statement here this morning. By coming to dwell with us, Jesus was to reveal God both to men and to angels. He was the Word of God. God's thought made audible. Our world is the lesson book of the universe god's wonderful purpose of grace the mystery of redeeming love is the theme into which angels desire to look and it will be their study throughout endless ages both the redeemed and the unfallen beings will find in the cross of christ their science and their song it will be seen that the glory shining in the face of jesus is the glory of self Sacrificing love. Oh, friends, today I wish that I had the tongue of an angel that I could paint the picture of what happened on Calvary. Because the devil wants to do everything in his power so that you never get a glimpse of who God actually is, he gets you distracted. He cranks up his propaganda machine and says, God is this way. But if you were to really see who God actually is, I believe that all of us would be melted, softened, and motivated to respond. It's this glimpse of Jesus that the devil wishes that you would never see. Because in that moment on Calvary, God became vulnerable. He opened Himself as never before. And it's in this moment that heaven stood back in wonder and awe and praise as to who God is. Our last passage here this morning as we close. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. You can see it there in your study guide. It says, For it is God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. I want you to notice the language here. The light of the knowledge of the glory. glorious character in the Bible. The light of the knowledge of the character of God is found in the face of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that Jesus is the Word. He's God's thought made audible. And up to the time that Jesus came, there was a misrepresentation of the character of God. But when Jesus came and revealed Himself, God's thought made audible and hung upon the cross. There was no denying as to the character of the God that the universe served. And today, in the quietness of our own hearts, you can see it there at the bottom of your study guide. If you want to respond and say, Lord, number one, I want to thank you for your revelation of love. Amen. How many want to say, Lord? Thank you. Number two, I want to desire, help me to desire to accept you as Savior and Lord of my life. You can never see a revelation of God and not respond. And how many of you are going to say, Lord, I want to respond? I want to respond and say, Lord, I want to accept you as Saviour and Lord of my life. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Our Father in heaven, today we come to you with many ideas about God that are simply not true. Lord, all our lives, we've been fed many lies. But today, we want to ask that you would reveal yourself to us in our minds and hearts what you have done for us on Calvary. The eternal price that you paid. We pray that this revelation would melt our hearts, would motivate us, would compel us, would move us to respond to you because we love because you first loved us. I want to thank you for investing all of heaven in that one gift of Jesus Christ. And today we pray for clearer, more distinct revelations of Jesus Christ and that you would shine through each one of us. Bless and keep us to that end, for we ask you, things Jesus' name. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.